a good friend, Pastor Gunther, is going to come up. He and his wife, Vicki, and extended family are a huge part of our church, and they give, 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 and I'm very thankful for this, uh, this gentleman here. Uh, we have a good time teasing each other, especially during baseball season, as he is a diehard Giants fan, and I'm not, and um, <laughs> although I did wear black today, that's weird. Okay, any rate, let's pray for uh, Gunther as he brings the word this morning, and uh, we'll lift him up. Lord, we thank you for our brother who loves the body. He loves the body of Christ. He and his wife, Lord, we're so thankful that you've put them in our midst, that they might continually just encourage the weak and hurting, uh, strengthen those that are struggling in various ways. Lord, provide encouragement uh, to, to those around them, that you've given them encouragement to give in abundance. And we're just thankful, Lord. I can, I can just look at my brother and just thank you that, um, that you've blessed us with him in, in and his efforts are tireless for this body, and so we're thankful for him. But more of that, we're thankful for you, Jesus. And we know that you want to speak to our hearts this morning through your word. So we just lift them up, that you might use them as a vessel of blessing to us. And Lord, that we wouldn't just be hearers this morning, but it would translate in us doing and being those who you want us to be. Lord, thank you for this time ahead, and we just look forward to the book of Acts through our brother. Just bless him now. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Thanks, bro. Thanks, James. Good morning. I am really glad that we are a compassionate, caring church, and we do a lot of counseling for Dodger fans. Every year, come November, that the last time they won a championship was the last century. I've been waiting to use that line since uh, about a few weeks ago, so it's really good to be able to do that. I've got some ring up here. Can we get rid of some of that ring? It'd be great. It's good to have fun together, guys, when we do this. So um, let's go ahead and go to Acts 11, which is where we're going to be this morning. And one of the, we're going to be doing 1 through 18 here. And if you need a Bible, by the way, we've got some people running around with Bibles in their hand there. And if you don't have one. But one of, the, one of the verses that we're going to be covering is, uh, as Peter's recounting this story about coming into Cornelius' house and preaching the gospel to the Gentiles for the first time, is as he recounts it, he says, and, I, and as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, and they spoke in tongues, and they got baptized. If God so deems that this morning happens while I'm preaching, the Holy Spirit falls on us. I'll get out of his way and let that happen. If the message gets too laborious and you're getting tired, then pray that the Holy Spirit falls while I'm preaching, (laughs) and I'll be glad to get out of his way, either way you look at it. We're going to focus on the first four verses here, and then because Nick and Eric covered this in the last few weeks. Uh, We won't really go into the bulk of that uh, passage, but um, it's interesting that this particular um, message of Peter going to Cornelius and the gospel being presented to the Gentiles for the first time is repeated three times in the book of Acts. Now, why, why is that significant in the sense that, remember, This was way before the days of the media that we have now. Uh, Everything was written down on parchment. 
and parchment wasn't cheap. Writing it, copying it wasn't easy. And so uh, words were a premium. In fact, you know, most scholars will tell you as you read the book of Acts that the messages were condensed and shortened so that just high points were written in there and Luke would record that. But considering the brevity that had to be happening when writing parchments is that this story is repeated three times and it's important to us that we grab that and at the end, when we get to the end, is where I'll kind of bring that out. So let's go ahead and look at the first slide. And this is uh, Acts 11.1 1 through 4. Now, the apostles and the brethren who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And so when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those who were circumcised took issue with him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began speaking and proceeded to explain to them in an orderly sequence. Now, again, remembering, you know, draw your minds back to this time. Remember, there's no internet, no telephones, and for those of you who are old enough to remember, no newspapers to read about the news. This was by word of mouth, sometimes gossip, sometimes truth. Parchment letters maybe were written about this. Either way, that this story was so powerful, so unique, that as Peter was in Caesarea, which wasn't too far from Jerusalem, on his journey back, the word of this beat Peter to Jerusalem. And so there's these Jewish believers who, of course, are circumcised, but also these Jewish believers believed that you had to be circumcised to be accepted by God because it represented having a new heart given by God. And of course, if you read the Old Testament, even before the law came, Abraham was commanded by God to be circumcised, him and his family, and everyone that came after Abraham, being a Jew, had to be circumcised to represent this new relationship with God. And remember also that at this time, even Gentiles that came into faith with God through the Jewish faith, through the Jews, were required to be circumcised. Now, guys, just want to be delicate with this, but imagine you being a Gentile coming to faith in God at that time, and you're an older guy and you have to get circumcised. I don't want to get too detailed about it, but... Obviously, you cringe a little bit thinking about that. And if you're a woman, you're going, thank God I'm not a man. (laughs) But not only that, custom, Jewish custom taught that you could not even eat or have any fellowship with someone who is uncircumcised, even though the law of Moses never commanded this. This became a custom, and they practiced it up to that day. Now, This whole idea about the Gentiles coming to God and coming to his Messiah was something that a well-read Jew would understand. The problem here is how God is doing it that disturbs a good Jew. And that's important. Because, let's be honest... God's way of doing things many times clashes 
with our understanding on how he's supposed to do it. Yeah. Yeah. We want to be his teacher. We want to instruct him on how it's supposed to be done. But God says very clearly through his prophets, he says, who, who, who can instruct me? Who can teach me? Who can tell me how to do it? That's the difference between us and God. God help us to get out of his way and just follow him. Because look at Peter. He's very Jewish. He's a very Jewish man. And this whole idea about eating and being in a Gentile house is really hard for him. But this, this story he just experienced, this revelation of God sending down this sheet, telling him to kill and eat, and God telling him, what I've called clean, don't you call unclean, and then going in to this house, preaching, and then the Holy Spirit falls on these Gentile believers, is absolutely incredible transformation for Peter. But he struggles with this idea deeply because he's a culturally Jewish man. Because later on, as we read in the book of Galatians, Peter starts withdrawing from this. He actually brings other people into it, and there's this whole section of Jewish believers who have found this grace in Christ, and yet they're pulling back from the Gentiles to where Paul actually has to confront him in front of everybody. Peter, what are you doing? Don't you understand the truth of the gospel? It breaks down this barrier. So it's so cool that God's word, this is God's word because it shows the warts and all. We can relate to Peter's struggles. I mean, think of your cultural struggles. Think of the struggles that you might have with the way God does things in your life or in other people's lives. God, wouldn't it be easier if you just did it this way? God says, no, my way is the right way. Trust me. Oh, no, I can't. I can't. I can't do that. That's so hard for me. And yet it's the only way. One of the most striking aspects of this story that we're reading here is that God takes away the veil between the natural world and the spiritual world to Peter. It takes two powerful revelations. One, an angel comes to Cornelius in this story, and a vision to Peter to bring together two widely divided cultures into one for the first time. God's strong voice crosses cultural, socioeconomic, and racial divides. That's incredible, guys. True unity only happens by Jesus, and he's the hope for our nation that is culturally, socioeconomically, and culturally divided at this time. Look at the revelation here. Read this story. It's so powerful. So again, look at, look at Peter in verse 4, how he's been so affected by this vision from God about cleansing all men and women that even when he's criticized for doing something against the cultural norm, he doesn't take offense. He just humbly tells the story of what God has done. You know, seeing God 
and what he's doing is not just for prophets and, vi- and, and apostles. Getting visions from God, seeing what he's doing. Remember Ananias in a few chapters back, we read the story. He's just minding his own business when God just visits him in a vision and says, I want you to go talk to Paul and tell him about this message of Jesus. And, and of course, Paul's been you know, dragging people into prison. And he goes, no way, Lord, I'm not going to go do that. There's no way. And the Lord has to reassure him in this vision. So when we think about this, it's really important to me and us that you know, when, we're, when we see what's on social media and television, that can have some benefits. But I need, and this is where I make up these words sometimes and my wife just laughs at me, but while social media and television is helpful sometimes, I need a revivision. Now think about that. I need a revivision, a revelation of God and his words so that like Peter, when I'm criticized and attacked, I can answer like it says in Proverbs 15.1, where it says a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. See, when Jesus places his hands on our eyes, then our sight is restored and we can see clearly. So I just want to pray a second. You know, I'll stop what we're doing because we're really worshiping him this morning. This is why we gather to worship him. And one of the acts of worship is to present our, our hearts and our minds before the Lord. So I just want to pray real quick. So if you join me and that these words matter. Lord, would you grant us the ability to see clearly? Lord, would you give us a revision? Change our, our eyesight. Change how we see things. Change our hearts about your ways and, and who you are. And Lord, would you just grant us the ability to see you and hear you and see your way and follow you? Lord, change our cultural viewpoints. Heal our divided hearts, Lord. Fall on us, Holy Spirit. And let us see you the way you want us to. In Jesus' name. So as you, maybe you're looking at your Bible or your your smartphone there, you can see the story. And again, Nick, if you have not been here, you can certainly pick up the MP3 broadcast uh, on our website. But let's go down to verse 13 and 14 of this chapter, of this incredible story. And we read this. And he, Cornelius, as Peter's recounting the story, reported to us how he had seen the angel standing in his house saying, send to Joppa and have Simon, who is also called Peter, brought here And he will speak words to you by which you will be saved, you and your whole household. Now, just think about this. Cornelius has been told by an angel to go get a man to tell him a message by where he might be rescued and saved. You think about it. Well, why did 
why do we even have to have this? Why didn't the angel just tell him how, what to do? I mean, isn't that a logical question as a guy you'd think that? The incredible part about this is that that's not how God has set it up. The message of life has been entrusted to you and I to carry to others. Because think about this. How did you come, for those of you in this room that have known Jesus and walked with him, how many of you had an angel come to them to give them a vision to be saved? Raise your hands. How many of you heard the message of life through someone else giving it to you? There you go. Case, case closed. Now, that's, that's rather hard and rather frightening that me as an imperfect man has been granted the ability to give perfect life. And yet that's how God has set this up. Let's go to the next slide. The key message in here is that this message that Cornelius is going to hear from Peter is going to save him. Now, we're going to go to basics, back to basics, because that word saved is a word we as believers hear a lot, think about a lot, and say a lot, but what does that really mean? Because just like the word sin, it becomes sometimes just an esoteric thought without the connection to reality. So I'm going to spend a little time with this. The word saved, and in this case, it's the, uh, the root word for this Greek word that's being used here is the word sozo, which means to preserve, deliver, rescue, protect, make whole, and heal. Let me say that again. To preserve you, to deliver us, to rescue you, to protect your family, to make you whole and to heal. Let's go to the next slide. There's three stages that we have within our salvation. Initially, When we receive Christ, when we receive this free gift of God, we are initially delivered out of danger from the kingdom of darkness into the safety of the kingdom of light in the cleansing by his blood, given a new heart and a renewed mind, born again by the Spirit of God from above. This transformational thing occurs in our life. But it doesn't stop there. Let's go to the next slide. We are, for the rest of our lives, constantly being rescued, preserved, and kept. We are being saved as we go on in life. For the rest of our life, you're protected, you're made whole, you're healed. You're continuing to be delivered and set apart by his blood and the Spirit of Christ in us and upon us. And we do good works through the loving favor of God and his power in and through us. That's the evidence of being rescued, delivered. You're changed. You're different. People notice the difference. Your old friends notice the difference. 
They see something different, a different life. That's the evidence of being rescued and delivered and set apart. And then finally, for eternity, our future salvation. So that when death comes, or the Lord comes for us, we're delivered from the power of that death into the safety of his presence. Literally, we come face to face with him is what the scripture says. Remember that scripture in Hebrews that says that he has delivered us from the power that the devil had over us, the fear of death, because we get to go to him face to face. And we're made whole and given a brand new body. And me being older, the thought of a new body makes me very, very happy. If you're younger, you're going, well, this body's not so good. Well, just wait a few years. And then we get to love and serve with him for all eternity. So let this soak into you. Meditate on that this week. Let it just soak into your being, this wonderful word and what it means to you. And rejoice in what we have been given so gratefully. So let's go up to the next slide here. Because, again, he's going to speak words to you by which you will be saved, you and all your household. Now, there's some things in here that are really, really important. Because concerning God's salvation, concerning his rescuing and delivering from the danger and into safety... You're never good enough to earn it, and you're never bad enough to be rescued. Look at Cornelius again. Remember, a few chapters back, it describes Cornelius and that he is a good man. He builds a synagogue for the Jews. He gives gifts to the poor. He, He prays often. And, and the angel tells Cornelius, you've been remembered by God. It's a memorial that you've been pouring out. God remembers you this. But you still need to be rescued. Now think about that. Because remember, in today's no absolutism, we call it relativism, you're accepted by God if you do good enough. If you do good enough and it weighs out, you're good enough to go and go to heaven. But that's not the message of the the Bible. Cornelius was a good man, and yet he needed to be rescued and saved and delivered. That's a heavy thing. Because trusting in the goodness and what we do rather than what he's done leads us into a very desperate place that we need to be rescued from. Let me give you a picture of this. The salvation that God talks about in in his word is like this. The destination for life is Hawaii. And I've used this analogy before, but I'm going to repeat it. The destination for life is Hawaii. And all of you in this room... To find life, have to swim to Hawaii. So we all jump off the Pismo Pier. 
And for those of you in this room that don't swim, you sink in 15 feet of water and die. For those of you that like to swim in your summer vacations, at your local lake, you get out about a mile or two and you drown in 35, 40 feet of water. Those of you who are triathletes, you might get out three, four, five miles and you drown in 100 feet of water. Hawaii is Santa Maria, using this distance here. Whether you're bad enough to sink in 15 feet of water, or you're good enough to make five, six, eight miles maybe, guess what? You're still drowned and dead. It didn't matter, did it? But we have, but we have Jesus who walks on water and picks you up and rescues you from dying and carries you into life at Hawaii. Amen. That's the truth of the gospel according to the word of God. Jeremiah has a powerful passage, and he says this. When speaking of the religious Jews who weren't really loving and serving God, they were just using the name of God, but idolatrous. Jeremiah says, All of us has become like one who is unclean, and our righteous acts are as a filthy rag before you. Now, I'm going to be really... Gross might be a good word. But actually, the Hebrew, speaking about this filthy rag, it literally means menstrual cloth. So if our best and righteous acts appear to him like this, a menstrual cloth, how much more are our unrighteous acts and thoughts appear to him That's trusting in ourself. That's trusting in our ways. That's trusting in our goodness. That's believing that, oh, I've, I've been walking in you. I can take it from here, God. Ah, oh, that's a dangerous place to be. It's a dangerous, dangerous place to be. That's why the scriptures say, always, the Lord is my righteousness. He became, the righteous one became the unrighteous one so that we might be declared righteous. There's nothing in me. There is nothing in our flesh. There's nothing in our nature. But he says, I want you. I love you. I'm good enough for you. Sometimes not just knowing this, but feeling the weight of this is important for being renewed in our faith and our trust in him. On the other side of this, there's no one bad enough There's no one bad enough. Because remember, besides Cornelius representing what was good, the best man can be that God remembers. He also represents the hated foreign power that was oppressing Israel in slavery 
And yet God wants to rescue this man and bring him into the kingdom, bring him into life. Think about Paul. Paul, who was the, the, the most, one of the most deadly men to persecute the church. He approves of Stephen's death. Remember, we read this back a few chapters. He approves of his death and then pouring out murderous threats. He goes and hauls people into jail, whole families, and some of them probably died in prison. But then God rescues him and makes him part of the family of God? Where's the fairness in that? If you were a believer in that time and someone hauled off your family into jail and possibly maybe even murdered you, would you be trusting in a person like this? Not only that, he becomes an apostle. He becomes one of the leaders in the church movement. What? No one is bad enough. If you're in this room and you think that there is nothing that God could forgive me for because I've done things so terrible, think again. If you know someone who is so terrible or have done terrible things in your life, they're not bad enough that God cannot rescue them. That's so crucial and so key to us. So no matter what side of the scale you're on, isn't it wonderful that we get to come into this great life? You see, right now as we're being saved, Jesus used this picture of when he washed Peter's feet. You remember that, that story? where at the Last Supper, Jesus takes off his outer garments and begins to bend down and, and wash the disciples' feet, including Judas's, by the way. And Peter says, no, Lord, you, you're not going to wash me. And, and Jesus says, I have to, Peter, because if I don't wash your feet, you don't have any part in me. Because the word I've spoken to you has cleaned you, but I still need to wash your feet. So this process of being saved and having this constant revivision happening is that we're constantly going to the Lord and saying, Lord, I know you've rescued me for eternity, but would you wash my feet? Would you clean me up? Would you rescue me today? And that's such a wonderful thing to be able to do. Okay, let's go to the next slide. What time do we have? Anybody got a watch? Really, honestly, I don't have my clock on me. What time? Huh? Oh, great. I could go on for another 45. <laughs> Pray that the Holy Spirit falls on us. <laughs> As it says here in the scripture verse, As I began to speak, Peter says, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as he did, just as he did upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord Jesus in this case, Peter's saying, how he used to say, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if God gave to them the same gift as he gave to us also after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? Now, again, think about culturally 
where Peter's at with this, with the other guys that are with him who are circumcised Jews. They were probably, they were all in that room in the, in the first book of Acts, in, in Acts 1 and 2. And they all received the Holy Spirit upon them, baptizing them so that they could speak in new languages and be filled with power to be witnesses. And then as Peter's not even finishing his message, God says, okay, Peter, move out of the way. Bam! Upon Gentiles, uncircumcised men and women. And I'm sure it blew their minds, including Peter. Whoa! Just as us, he's falling upon them. Wow! Look, I remember what Jesus said. That's right. We've been baptized in water, but he's going to be baptized. God does a reversal here. He baptizes them in the Spirit before they're baptized in water. And Peter says, who was I? What am I going to do? Get in the way of God when he does something like this? No way. And then they baptize them in water. And there's huge rejoicing. Now, understand something. This happens here. As the word gets into Jerusalem, Peter's eating with uncircumcised men. What a, what a filthy sinner that guy is. And so he's, he's recounting this story, and he tells this revelation, this powerful vision, this powerful experience. Let's go to the next verse. And when they heard this, the, believe, the circumcised Jews who were believers, it says they quieted down and glorified God, saying, well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. Credit these guys. Credit these men here. Because, again, you're talking about a huge revolutionary cultural difference here. But they still had a soft enough heart from God to be able to say, okay, I don't understand this. What God has done blows my mind. This following Jesus is difficult. It has a lot of twists and turns. But, okay, God's granted something here that's incredible, and I have to bow back to that. Now, when we get to Acts 15, these same believers raise another important question where this story is repeated again, but I won't go there. It's really interesting that he uses the words, God has granted to the Gentiles repentance also that leads to life. Many times you hear, you must repent to be saved. And while that's accurate, really, the gift of repentance, the ability to change our minds and go another direction, is given by God alone. Which takes the whole process really, in some ways, out of our hands. Because it depends on God to give a revelation. And what's important here is the fact that Gentiles have come into this commonwealth that was Israel's. And why it's repeated three times, this is where I'm getting to the end of my message, why it's repeated three times in the book of Acts and why in the book of Ephesians it's mentioned two or three times is because, again, to our, us culturally here in this building in America, it's hard for us to understand 
But this incredible gift of God's life, his revelation of his word, his promises, the commandments, that was given to the Jews first. Remember that. We were excluded from that. We were not a part of that. Let's go to the next slide. I want you to read, I want to read this out of Ephesians chapter 2, 11 through 14. And I want you, as it's up on the screen or maybe in your Bible as you turn to it, listen to this. Paul's speaking to Ephesian Gentiles who have come into the faith in Christ. He says, therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from the Messiah, from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise. Without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups, Jew and Gentile, into one and has destroyed the barrier, the divided wall of hostility. God was against us. We were enemies. The fact that this good news is for everyone now at this time is a huge gift. This is why culturally it was so mind-blowing to Jews who were receiving their Messiah to say now the Messiah is going to come to the Gentiles now because they thought the whole prophecies about God, you know, Gentiles coming to to the Messiah and coming to faith was going to be through the Jews and they thought it was a future thing. But really, it was then and now which was mind-blowing if you were a Jew. But to the Gentiles, it was like, what? We get to have life apart from the law, apart keeping things? We get to come into life? Why this is hard for us sometimes, I think, are three reasons. Sometimes it's just ignorance of some of these facts. And maybe if, if you've been ignorant of this, it, it can really help revitalize your love for what God has given to you. But I think sometimes at a deeper level, when you think about it, we're an entitled society. I remember when I was younger, the old McDonald's thing, you deserve a break today. <laughs> get up and get away. Go to McDonald's. Ugh. But think about it right now. Don't you feel you deserve things? Don't you feel you deserve to be happy? Haven't you earned it? Don't those thoughts go through your mind at times? I need a break. I, I deserve a break. I need happiness. I think that attitude, along with ignorance, can really separate us from this incredible gift that we never deserved. that you and I sitting here were enemies of God, hated and apart from the promises and covenants. And now you've been brought in to this incredible life. And being thankful for that and, and, and holding on to that, that you've been granted a changed mind in a different direction because God visited you when you didn't care a lick about that because someone else came to you and said, I found life. Here's life for you. 
Think of the process for those of you in this room who have come to Christ. How that person's love and prayers brought you to a place of finally saying, I bow and surrender to the Lord of heaven. Remember that? Remember where you've come from. Remember the gift that God has so given to us and given to you. Let's have the band come up. If they're in here. There's a lot here, isn't there? We desperately need to be rescued every day. I need God's Holy Spirit to come upon me and to fill me. We need to have a revivision every day. I need to put aside sometimes my, my media or the television so that I can sit and listen and get the revivision so that I'm renewed and strengthened in a life that really is hard and confusing, especially when God's doing something I don't understand and I'm really opposing it. When I'm going this way, God's going this way, and I'm going, hey, how come you're not going my way? He's saying, because I want you to go my way and I want you to follow me. I need to see him and hear his word very clearly so that I can really, truly appreciate that I have not only what's happened in the past, but now a hope that leads me to the future. So, if any of this has had an effect on you this morning, or you're feeling the presence of God just upon you, I want you to take advantage while we're singing we have communion up here up front, which is, represents his broken body and his poured out blood that has been given so freely to us by a father that said, I'll sacrifice my best for you that I can have you and be the best son and daughter that's possible. And I want you for all eternity. This simply reaffirms the cleansing of his blood and the healing that his broken body has for us. We also have uh, some people over on the side. Now, for those that I've asked, if you could go over there and just stand over there. Obviously, we, one of the things that God has provided for us, being that we're a body of believers, is that we have this wonderful opportunity that we just cannot just have Jesus just himself. We need also what Jesus brings to each one of us. Just as someone had to help you come to Christ, we need each other to live for Christ. And so if you need prayer for anything, please go over there if your physical need, an emotional need. And, and they're trusted people. They, they, they're not going to ask a bunch of questions. They're just going to say, let's go to Jesus together, and they're going to pray for you. So take advantage of that. We have some rugs up here up front. If you want to just get down on your knees and just worship God. And for those of you in this room, if you've never received God's gift for you, this is a great time to do that. To bow your heart, to say, yes, Lord, I receive you. I don't understand it all, just like Peter here or just like myself. 
but it isn't in figuring it out. It's responding to a call upon your life. That you would hear his voice and bow before him.